So talking about unity. <clears throat> As individuals, we all have our own ideas of how to do things, um, whether it's you know retirement planning or how to build a house or whatever the case may be. We all have our own skills and abilities and our own ideas of how things are to be done. And when we're doing something on our own, it's not a big deal. We can submit to our personal preference. We can do things however we want. It doesn't really cause any problems. But when we're trying to do something as a group, everybody involved has to be on board with, with the vision. There has to be one vision in whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, because if you have more than one vision, by definition, what you have is division. And that doesn't really get you anywhere. So, you know, in this series, we're talking about family and being a church family. And uh, we can't be successful as a church family if we don't share one vision. Uh, we all have to be united and working towards the same goal. So here's a, a quick example of division. I, I recognize this is like a, a sport or a game, but I think it illustrates my point pretty clearly. What you've got here is two, two groups of people with opposing vision. Group on the left is pulling to the left. Group on the right is pulling to the right. So what, what gets accomplished when you have a situation like that, when you're trying to do something together? Well, everybody's putting forth maximum effort. They're wearing themselves out. They're sweating. They're working hard. But there's not a lot of action that comes out of it. You know, the rope might go a little bit to the left. It might go a little bit to the right. But unless somebody falls down or something, it's just a bunch of, of hard work for nothing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what's the hard part about unity? Other people. That's the hard part about unity. You know, have you, have you ever worked with a team, maybe at work, and you get something that sounds like this? Well, let's do, like, let's do it like this. Well, why in the world would we want to do that? Well, why don't we do it this way? Well, that doesn't make sense. How about we do it like this? Well, that's just not my style. I, I, I don't want to do it that way. I think we should do it this way. So, you know, there's just a bunch of back and forth, and, and again, nothing gets accomplished. But that's okay. We're, we're all very different people, and God made us that way, and that's fine. So, so how can we possibly be united with other people when we have so many differences, different thoughts, different preferences? First, let's talk about the difference between uniformity and unity. So what's uniformity? Uniformity is the quality or state of being uniform. So when I think of uniformity, I think of like school uniforms. Everybody looks the same. It's very structured, very organized. Or maybe a, a homeowners association. Some are better than others. But this is kind of the result of that. It's uniformity. There's no real unity there. Everybody just looks the same. So obviously we're not all the same. God made us that way. He made us to be unique and non-uniform. So what is unity? Unity is the state of being united or joined as a whole. Very different from uniformity. Unity is being in agreement, joined together with a common goal or purpose. Unity means that although we're very different, we share a common focus that moves us in the same direction. So what's the opposite of unity? Division. God has an enemy who loves division. It's one of his most effective tools in his arsenal. He'll use it to, to divide friendships, to tear down relationships. People get stubborn. They, they, they set their heels in. There's no compromise. And then again, 
there's just nothing good that comes from that. Division also wreaks havoc in churches as well. Satan doesn't have to destroy a church. He only has to cause enough division to make it ineffective, to take it off mission and to prevent it from doing what it's supposed to do, which is reach the lost. So how do we experience unity? We're all so different. We all have our own way of doing things. We all have different uh, preferences and perspectives. Trying to be in unity kind of sounds like a lot of work, honestly. I'm kind of getting tired just thinking about it. But, but really, it's, it's not that hard. Uh, there's, there is a bit of a secret to it, though. So when Mark was preparing us to be elders, we had some meetings with several of our NCMI team guys. And for those of you that don't know the NCMI team, it's New Covenant Ministries International. And they're just a, a group of brothers and sisters that, um, it's an apostolic ministry, but they, they just partner with other churches all around the world in an apostolic function and just lift them up <clears throat> and equip us and, and grow us to do the work of the ministry. So I don't recall which meeting, but there was one meeting where we were talking about uh, decision-making as an eldership. And again, I don't remember if it was Russ or TK or Ty or who it was, but it, it was pretty funny. We were like, well, as an eldership, you know, how do, we, how do we come into agreement on something that we may not agree on? And we got this kind of crazy look, like, well, duh. So the, the response was, uh, was pretty simple. If we're all seeking God as elders, God's not going to be divided against himself. So he's going to be speaking the same thing to all of us, and we're going to be in unity. I was like, well, that's profound. <laughs> But of course, of course, we're all supposed to be seeking God. We're supposed to be um, constantly seeking Him for everything. And he, He's not going to fight against Himself, so it makes sense that we'd all be, be in unity. So that, that brings us to my first point. <clears throat> unity begins with our relationship with God. Real unity in any aspect of our lives, whether it be our marriage, our work, or our church, begins with a relationship with God. While I was studying for this message <clears throat> last week, uh, I was hanging out at Starbucks and just by myself, spending some time with the Lord, and I came across this quote uh, from A.W. Tozer, and I think it really just did a good job of, of demonstrating what unity should look like. <clears throat> Excuse me. So A.W. Tozer said this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So if 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, they are nearer in heart to each other than they could ever possibly be were they to become unity conscious, turn their eyes away from God, and strive for closer fellowship. So there's really no, no work to be done on our part to be unified as a church. Our only responsibility is each one of us to look to God. God is not divided. So that's what we've got to do. <laughs> Unity is the fruit of a committed relationship with God. If we each individually align our hearts and minds with him, then as we come together, we should be in unity. Now this requires that we surrender our right to be right, that we lay aside our preferences, and that we seek God's plan, His ways, and agree with Him. I also found as, as I was studying, the Lord just kind of showed this to me as well, that, that unity is a part of His plan. 
and he, and he demonstrates it uh, throughout the Bible. So there's unity demonstrated in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three unique persons of God, but all unified, working together, uh, always in unity. So in Genesis 1.26, in the NIV, it says, Then God said, Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God kind of is unity just in, in, in the Trinity. I thought that was kind of cool. There's unity in marriage um, as God designed it. In Genesis 2, through 24, it says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united, unified, with his wife, and they become one flesh. And God wants unity in his church. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, it says, I appeal, to, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And we know that unity is important to God because Jesus prayed for our unity. In John 17, 20 through 21, Jesus said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will, all those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in, in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So all of this unity starts with God. God is unified in the Holy Trinity. God has made woman from man and designed the two to be unified. And God is the focal point, the tuning fork that enables unity in his church. So that brings me to our second point. <clears throat> unity happens when we shift our focus. In order for this to work, it has to be less of us and more of him. We have to grow in relationship with him. We have to take focus off what we want to do. We can't be focused on what we want to do, doing our own things. That just causes division and ineffectiveness. But when we're unified as a body, we can do so much more. And so I've got a little video. There's no audio with it. But just to demonstrate when we're unified what we can do. So this is a, a, a train. Thanks, brother. This is a train in, in Perth, Australia, and the gentleman was uh, coming off the train or getting on the train, I didn't catch it, but, and he fell down in between the trains. Kind of a bad place to be in. <laughs> so as you can see, there's people milling about, and initially they're just kind of gawking and standing around. But before you know it, they have a unified purpose. They have a common goal, and that's to get this guy out from between the trains. So now, I didn't look it up, because it's not super important. We know that a commuter train has to weigh thousands upon thousands of pounds. But you'll see that as the people start to work together, and you can even see there where now they're kind of working in unison, and they're all on the same page, they eventually free the man from the train, which is amazing. I mean, it's a train. <laughs> it's a train. It's huge. 
So all these people, they could have stayed focused on their destinations, they were on their way to work, to meet a friend for lunch, whatever the case may be. But instead, they unified on a common goal. And the result of that was saving a guy and moving a train. So I don't know any of these people. Some of them may be believers, some of them not. But you can see what they were able to accomplish together. Now imagine for a moment that these people were all believers. A church family or a group of several church families all focused on God and working together to accomplish his purposes. If a bunch of random people riding a train can do that, imagine what a church full of people partnered with God can do. We could change our world, not just our town. We can do amazing things when we partner with God together in unity. But we've got to shift our focus. It can't be about us. It's got to be about him. We have to submit ourselves to God, to his way, his plan, his purpose. We have to agree with him, unify with him, and then we're all in tune. Just as with the pianos and the tuning fork, if we keep our eyes on him, we're in one accord. Now, as Mark was speaking last week on commitment, and he was using the church in Acts as an example, the first church did experience this by being focused on God. In Acts 2.42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. They were all focused on God, living as a community, just following him. Real unity in the church comes from each of us having a covenant relationship with God. Covenant versus contract, and there's a big difference there. So with a contract, if one agreeing party does something to violate that agreement, the other person is, is now not obligated to do anything. The contract is considered broken. The whole thing becomes null and void. Basically, in a contract, the signers of the agreement agree to hold up their end so long as the other guy holds up his end of the contract. But with covenant, both parties agree to hold up their ends of, of the deal regardless of whether the other party keeps their part of the agreement. A violation of covenant by one party doesn't matter as far as the other party is concerned. They still have to continue to, to do what they agreed to do. So real unity with God and in his church is covenant. Our best effort at unity outside of God is merely contract. God doesn't want us to have contract relationships with him or with each other as believers. As believers, if we fail to meet our end of the bargain with God, he is still faithful to meet his end. And we are still in covenant with him. So we can get back on track. Nothing is broken. Nothing is nullified. There is no covenant. Or with covenant, there is grace and relationship. With contract, there is only law and obligation. So our relationship with each other as believers should be the same, full of grace and relationship. Ephesians 4, 2-6 says this, <clears throat> Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. There's that word united again. Unity is very important to God. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all 
and in all and living through all. We're all unified by one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father. So because of that, we come to my third point. Unity demands that we resolve conflict. We can't have conflict amongst our body for unity. Otherwise, unity can't exist. So none of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. We're going to do things that hurt each other's feelings from time to time. So, so what are we supposed to do? Unity demands that we resolve conflict. Conflict left unresolved causes division. And that is exactly what the enemy wants. He will use any foothold we give him to cause division. He wants to destroy our unity, take our focus off of God, so that we can't be effective. Nothing makes the enemy happier than a church full of people fighting amongst itself and being ineffective and missing out on its mission. That's what the enemy is all about. Tearing us down, dividing us, conquering us, trying to destroy us. So how do we resolve conflict? Well, I'm going to start with a few things that we don't do. Don't take your conflict or offense to your spouse. Pretty sure they're going to take your side. (laughs) And they're probably going to take up your offense as well. So what's the result of that? Division. Division in the church. Don't. Take your conflict or offense to a friend. If they're your friend, there's a pretty good chance they're going to take your side and also potentially take up your offense. So now instead of conflict between two people, which, by the way, the other party may not even know that conflict exists if you haven't spoken with them, but now maybe there's three or more people, and and, and it could continue to spread as people continue to, oh, so-and-so did this, oh, that's bogus, and -and so-and-so did that. And before you know it, half the church is really angry at Kendra, for something that she doesn't even know she did. So what is the result of that? Division. Don't take your conflict or offense to social media. This can have similar results. If you call someone out on Facebook, it'll just spread like wildfire. People start to take sides. Division is the result. Even if you keep it unspecific, it's going to cause division. So it's not all the way on the screen, but this is just an example. You won't believe what someone at church did to me today. I can't believe someone that calls themselves a believer would do that, feeling hurt. That doesn't help anyone. And it doesn't help you either, really, if you're the one posting something like that. So now all you've got is a church full of people wondering what they might have done to hurt you or speculating about what somebody else did to hurt you. And now again, we've lost our focus. Maybe not immediately do we have division, but we've definitely lost our focus. Because now we're focusing on who did what to hurt who. So the results of that, definitely division in a church. And there's also a pretty good chance that nobody on your friends list is going to want to come visit your church either. Preach it! (laughs) I'm serious! Nobody's going to see that and go, hey, that sounds like a great church. Full of people that just hurt people. That sounds fantastic. Let me go, let me go visit that. So the FB doesn't stand for family business. So keep it off social media. Now, th- these might be some of the ways that the world deals with conflict. But as believers, we have a biblical example to follow. 
So in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, it says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Problem solved. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If a person still refuses to listen, take your case to church, to the church. So this is how we as believers are to deal with conflict. The one thing to, to add here, as Marcus said before, is we have to start by taking it to God. And please take it to God right away. Don't wait. In Ephesians 4.26, this is abbreviated, but it says, Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. That's what the devil wants. He wants a foothold. So let's not give him one. The entire process can literally take just a few minutes. Don't make it a thing, as our buddy TK likes to say. Take it to the Lord right away. If after praying and giving it to him, you're still angry, okay, don't make it a thing. Go privately and point out the offense to the person that offended you or, or sinned against you. And an important note here, this isn't an email or a text kind of a thing. This is kind of a face-to-face kind of a thing. And with the whole don't let the sun go down on your anger, if there's something that's preventing you from doing face-to-face, a phone call will work, but it's definitely not a text or an email thing. So if it still doesn't work, which can't imagine there's a ton of times that this is the case, but take take one or two with you. But now the difference here is you're not spreading offense and, ca- and causing division. You're, you're following your biblical ex- example and you're bringing other believers into a situation that, one, you've already taken to God, and two, you've already addressed with the individual. <clears throat> and then lastly, of course, take it to the church. But I'm willing to bet that if we follow this example, if we don't make it a thing, if we take it to God, and then if it goes beyond that, if we take it to the person, 99% of the time, that's as far as it's going to go. <clears throat> we are sometimes all too quick to assume. Often we assume intentionality when more often than not, the conflict or offense is simply a lack of thoughtfulness in our actions or words. And that's just the honest truth. There's, I, I truly believe, especially you know, in our body, that, and I, I'm sure there's been offenses or whatever, but I, I highly, I highly have a hard problem believing that any of it was intentional. Anytime anyone's offended anywhere else, I'm confident that it's been just a misunderstanding. So this whole thing can take a couple of minutes. You avoid all of the conflict, you avoid all of the hurt feelings, and the church stays unified. And it can happen that fast. Hey, brother, that thing you just said to me, yeah, that was kind of mean. I'm sorry. Done. I forgive you. It's over. No more. So that's how we're supposed to. That's supposed for how we're supposed to, to handle um, our conflicts and our, our disagreements as believers. So with all that said, let me ask you this: What would happen if we all embraced this kind of unity in our lives? If we worked on our relationship with God, focused on being unified with Him, we shift on our focus from us to Him and we resolve conflicts with each other in a God-honoring manner. I guarantee you it would break down the enemy's power of division in our lives. And the church would begin to look a lot different to the world. Our marriages would be better. 
Some people mock us because our divorce rates as believers are no better than non-believers. They say, what's that about? It shouldn't be that way. The relationship with our coworkers would be better. A lot more grace on our part, whether they're believers or not. We're tied in and unified with God. God loves people. He loves all of his people, even the difficult ones. And our church would be more effective. And we wouldn't allow the enemy to pull us off mission. That mission being to go out and reach the lost. In fact, we'd look so different that the world would begin to look at the church and realize there's something different about us. Those people are never having a bad day. Those people are walking around just with this crazy peace that I can't explain. Full of joy. We're having a terrible day at work and this guy's whistling down the hall. Everything's wonderful. Honestly, that's how we should be. Because we know our God. We know that the enemy's defeated. We know that he has good plans for us. And when the, the people of the world start to see that in the church, they're going to want in on that. And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2 at that church. In Acts 2.47, said, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Each day. Each day. That's what happens when we're unified and we're working together. But in order to get to, to that place, we've got to stop behaving like the world behaves. We've got to embrace God's truth and his plan for unity. And this is key, guys. We have to be completely dependent on God daily. The second that we take our eyes off of him, unity starts to crumble. That's just how it is. We can't, you know, as A.W. Tozer said, we can't, we can't think that we can take our eyes off God and make this thing work on our own. Because we're just, we're flawed people. But in God, we're perfected. So guys, this is the kind of church, and I believe we are this kind of church, but this is the kind of environment in this church family that we want to foster. We want to be committed. We want to be unified. We want to be generous. That's coming up. And we want to be a community, a community of believers working together to change our town. So can we commit to that? All right. Let's pray.